welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner. I am a registered nurse, a health coach, and alcohol-free badass. And today on the show, I have Carla Adkins. Carla is a certified senior coach through This Naked Mime, and she's the author of a just newly released book called And She Came Tumbling Down, Breaking the Bonds of Alcohol and Creating a Life of Freedom. So welcome, Carla, to the show. I'm so delighted to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I I was saying earlier before we started recording that I read a lot of Quitlet and I just, I loved your book. It was just, it was well-written. It took some deep dives into topics we don't always get into, like about liver disease and our relationship with our healthcare providers and hospitalizations in, in a different way. And and then it just had so much hope and whatnot. So I, I would definitely recommend this book. And she came tumbling down. So thank you. Thank you. I like I share with you. I, I really I love Whitlet too. And so I stayed away from reading it while I was writing because I really needed it's my story, you know, and I I just needed to stick to that. And and I knew it was important because the details and people will see themselves or see a loved one as I tell my story. And it and it really helps normalize this and helps most importantly, start to remove the shame around Mm -hmm. from this topic. Yeah. Well, before we kind of dive in, can you just add to who you are and what you do? Yes. I'm Carla Adkins. I am a senior coach with This Naked Mind. I found This Naked Mind as I was on my healing journey. This past Saturday, September 10th was eight years for me being on this, I call it my health journey, because that's ultimately what it was for me. And, you know, as I I had so many questions, so many questions about how to do this. And so I found this Naked Mind, their podcast and reached out and immediately knew I wanted to do something with my story. And at the beginning of my process, and even as the process of studying to become a coach, I still carried shame, especially around my diagnosis of cirrhosis. and. I work with my own coach. I think all coaches, we need to have a coach, right? She helped me look into that, into that closet I didn't want to open. And that's where I really, you know, knew I needed to share my story. I love coaching others. I'm a coach in a group called the Zero Proof Life. It's a group of other senior coaches with this naked mind where we talk about like the next steps after you stop drinking because it's your, you know, being exposed to a whole new world when you've stopped numbing. So we dive into that in a beautiful way. And we also um, do zero proof life challenges where we do six week challenges to help people start the process of walking away from alcohol. I'm a wife and a mom, and those are my biggest things. And I love being able to, again, be present for them. And yeah, that's it. So that's a little bit of wrap up of who I am. I live in South Carolina on the coast of South Carolina. Oh, I've always wanted to go to the coast of the Carolinas. It's beautiful. I live in a place called Polly's Island. It's a small, it's north of Charleston, South Carolina. Ooh, okay. Bucket list. (laughs) Yes, it's beautiful. You have to let me know if you come. I will. I will. Cool. Well, can you share what your experience was with drinking? 
Sure. I mean, it, it goes way back. And I, I would really say, obviously, I think I started some in high school. You know, my sisters and I will talk now and cringe at our stories of, you know, sneaking around and drinking. But again, all of that I always thought was just normal. I would say in college is where it started to become an issue and really not because of the amount of drinking, but that's when I can look back and realize that's when I started giving alcohol a job. And that to me is, is a big root of how I found healing and too from it is really seeing each role that I gave alcohol and really having to pull those layers back and debunk it and realize what it was really doing. But I really struggled with anxiety and I had started that started in high school for me. And I, I say in the book in college, it, <clears throat> it came along with me and impacted its A game. And back then, we didn't talk about anxiety as much as we do now. It, I knew about it. I didn't know how physical it was. I didn't understand it. And it definitely made me feel different from other people. I thought I was strange and weird. And why couldn't I just relax? That's one of my favorite things, by the way, when people will say, just relax. And that's what you want to, yeah, roll your eyes at that one because I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I tried to get help, but it started, you know, kind of weaving its way into my life. And, you know, I would have it while I was driving, I would have panic attacks in grocery stores. I would have panic attacks in malls. And so for me, the way anxiety worked is when I would have, you know, a highly anxious moment, panic attack in a certain place, and that place became scary to me. It's like your body is this amazing thing, your brain it remembers. And so all of a sudden, the simple place of the grocery store was, it was a huge challenge for me to go. And doing all this while trying to be, you know, a normal kid in college and, you know, going to school and working and, and figure out life and really try and manage this anxiety. And it was a lot harder. And I look back and have a lot of grace for myself because quite honestly, I, I don't know how I did it. But that's also, like I said, where I started to put two and two together of, you know, drinking, which we say is, you know, normal for kids in college, right? Which, you know, Deb, I'm sure you've probably feel similar to me. Now, everything that I know about alcohol and what it does to the brain. And it's just, it's so crazy to me that we just think that that's a really normal time for, hey, kids with forming brains, this is when you really want to humble yourself with alcohol. But that's a, a different topic from a different day. But it's where my brain started to attach the fact that, man, this, you know, this helps me feel a little more normal. And I say that because I did feel so different with my anxiety. And alcohol will work initially at those things. So it did make me feel like it relaxed me some. And I could socialize without feeling so different and anxious all the time. But again, that's if I look back on my drinking story where I see the problem, where I didn't see it as a problem. But I can now, looking back, look at it and go, wow, that's where it really started to grab a hold because I gave it a job. And, and I think that's a, when I describe that to people, it can, it makes sense. And then I, it's really starting to learn how many jobs I started to give it. 
So, but that's in the, and you know, again, my drinking story then just continued again, just thinking it was normal and, but also never really asking myself, okay, Carla, is your anxiety going away? Because if we really stop to ask ourselves those really important questions and realize, okay, it's not, I, I really, again, if I, especially at the end of my drinking, if alcohol helped with anxiety, I would have been the calmest person mm. in the room, you know, but it was so intense, but I believed so strongly that it's the thing that helped me. And I think it's the dangerous mixture of, okay, like it's an addictive, highly addictive substance. And then we're using it to, again, in our life as a tool. And that's where I think a lot of people get into trouble. Yeah, it's so common, you know, just having the culture that you're part of, having the alcohol be the norm, and then also having alcohol taking the job of relieving your anxiety. Yes. Yes. And again, I think that's, again, a lot of people give it a, several different jobs. That was the main thing for me. And again, as you get older, stress is always going to come. Life's going to throw you curveballs. And you hear all the time, you can hear it in, you know, the commercials that you see on TV, you see it in the books that you read, you know, you can see that, again, this boozy culture that we live in, we've been, those seeds have been planted for us for a very long time. The fact that this belief that alcohol helps for these certain roles, alcohol helps when you're sad, alcohol helps when you are stressed. Alcohol helps when you're angry. Alcohol helps you sleep and relax and sleep. And, you know, never challenging that and asking, okay, is the science true around that? What does the science say? So, you know, again, as I kept moving forward, alcohol, just just like anxiety did, alcohol started to weave its way in my life and, you know, was a part of my my norm. But again, I was working. I was thriving and doing well. And of course I would have my wine at night, which again, that whole picture to me was the picture of a normal life. And so I will say this though, I, I think I always worried because I had always been taught there's like this line in the sand. It's why I struggle so greatly. I have a with the word alcoholic and because I think it creates this line in the sand, it creates this us versus them concept of some people can drink and some people can't. And so what I spent my time doing is kind of fighting against that word and trying to just prove myself wrong. Well, I'm not that, right? Like I've never lost my job. I've never gotten a DUI. You know, we, you have these lists in your head of that belief of what that word means. And listen, that sounded miserable to me. I, I was going to do whatever I could to not be that. And again, my parents were just teaching me what they had been taught, what they believed to be true. And I think I just knew I didn't want that. I didn't want to have that thing. And so I would do whatever it took to not. And so I, as you know, time went on, I definitely worried more about my drinking. And of course, this is everything. I kept all of that to myself. You know, we we mentioned earlier before we started recording just the the 
role that shame plays. And it it's such an anchor when it comes to this in drinking because there's so much shame of why me, why am I different? And I had already had that with anxiety. So I felt like this was this double whammy of Carla is different. And now I have this thing that I'm worried about. And so I really tried whatever I could to stop. I put rules around my drinking, you know, just drinking, you know, five o'clock or just drinking certain types of alcohol. And I did give it up, you know, for like Lent a few times and just to prove to myself that I was okay. And again, meanwhile, never asking myself, how is it, how am I doing? How is it really serving me? And I'm giving alcohol these jobs. You know, if I was the boss in that situation and I was giving it a review, was I really challenging what alcohol and how it was actually doing, what it was actually doing for me? And I never challenged it. I just always wanted to be this normal drinker. And I, and again, that's why I'm so passionate now about really really challenging the narrative that we've all been taught and changing the narrative and understanding, you know, that we've got to stop looking at the person so much and really start to understand and look at the substance. And what is that thing that I want to drink so bad? What is that, you know, thing that I think is helping me and asking myself if it really was? Yeah, I think that is so key. I mean, that sounds similar to myself too, where I was like justifying my drinking and like, no, I'm a normal drinker. I can take breaks. I can quote unquote moderate. Like I'm not an alcoholic and doing everything I could just to avoid that. And I appreciate how, you know, the medical community has now recognized it's and has for years, decade even, that it's alcohol use disorder and it's on a spectrum and it goes from mild to moderate to severe and you don't have to call yourself an alcoholic and really put yourself in that box, that box that keeps people from getting help. Yes. And we've got to talk about that more because I think there's so many people that still use it. And I honestly, I there, I have a physical reaction in my body when people say it. And it's truly just because I see the damage that that word does. I've seen people where it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not that though. And it's like, if we could just remove that word, mm-hmm. which like you said, it has been, but most people do not know that, that, you know, that, you know, medically speaking, that isn't in the books anymore. And it is alcohol use disorder, which makes so much more sense. There's an illustration in the book that I worked on with this woman, Chrissy Bonner. She's amazing. And what I loved about the person that did the illustrations for the book was that she had um, just recently challenged her relationship with alcohol. Mm. And so as an illustrator, she knew and could feel exactly what I was talking about. And there's a a picture in there of like traditional thoughts of what normal quote unquote drinking is and then the alcoholic. And it's just this, you know, clear line there of what that is. And it is so not true. If you look at the world and the person that struggles, there's such a huge spectrum. And also the person at the end of the spectrum is not all is not going to be that person on the street, you know, with the bottle in their hand that you have this 
picture of that a lot of people have, and it's not necessarily true. And so that's also dangerous. It's dangerous because so many people are drinking this addictive substance that is massively impacting people's health. And we we definitely saw that. We're still seeing, I think medically, they are still seeing the the impact of the pandemic and people's drinking and what it did to people's health. But I, we just, we have to start talking about it more and more. So it's the norm, alcohol use disorder. And again, it makes a lot more sense. And you know what? It makes it a lot more easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. We have got to stop having this be a hard conversation. This shouldn't be, and, and it's a hard conversation because society has made it that, you know, where it has to be this intervention where, okay, you're, you're this and pointing the finger and you have to stop. Instead of, God, we got to create a safe space where someone could say, you know what? I'm really worried about my drinking. I'm starting to really worry about my drinking without the fear of being labeled. You know, it that that fear, that label, that line has created the silence and the shame. <clears throat> so no one has a place to, a safe place to talk about it. And then before they know it, they're in trouble, you know? And that's the picture that I see for myself. You know, just trying desperately internally to fix this thing because I didn't know where to go and who to talk to, you know, and I did try at some point to talk to, you know, my physician and, you know, we've got to remember healthcare providers are brought up and have a lot of the same beliefs around alcohol that anybody else does, you know, they're watching the same TV programs where the guy gets off at night and he cracks open a beer, they're reading the same books, they're seeing the same social media. They have this many times the same beliefs. My goodness, a lot of people, you know, are, how do they get through the stress of medical school? There's a lot of people that are drinking and struggling and a healthcare provider doesn't make them immune, you know? And I know that it's, it's it's hard and it's a hard topic for them to tackle. And that's why I really want to and and you know to continue this conversation with them because as much as I had healthcare healthcare providers that, you know, some did judge me and some did look at me in a different way. But for the most part, there was people that really wanted to help me. And, you know, two physicians that had a massive impact on my journey in such a beautiful way. And so it showed me like the level of impact that they can have. And a lot of times that's just going to be, you know, changing the conversation up in that room. Oh, I agree 100% with everything you're saying, you know, since, I mean, for those that haven't read your book, you are married to a physician, you worked as a physician liaison, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you worked in healthcare, and we can get into that a little bit later. But I, I think this would be a good segue into your experience with the health effects of alcohol and what that did to your body, and how you did meet those physicians that were so helpful for you. Can you share about that? Absolutely. I was getting to a time, and this is, I think, at this point, I was. 36, 37. And I knew, like, I definitely knew my drinking was a major issue. 
And I remember, I'll never forget, I was needed to be, I was in a wedding this one weekend. And again, it, it speaks volumes of my people-pleasing issues, but that I couldn't say no. I was like, I have to just get through this one thing. I physically felt horrible, but, you know, it was such a gradual thing. And my anxiety so historically was very physical where it made me feel physically bad, tired, you name it, nauseous. I, I, I didn't know the difference between the two. So is this my anxiety? this alcohol, everything was so blurred. And, and again, many of these symptoms you can, you know, blow off on the stress or not feeling good, where if you looked back and had me look back and ask, like, what were you feeling? There was, there was fatigue, definite fatigue and nausea, getting sick. Um, but for me, that was kind of my norm for years. That was my norm with anxiety. <clears throat> and so I didn't know the difference. And there was this thing that I started doing, and I'm so glad I talked about this in my book because there's a lot of people that have this me too moment because we don't talk about it because there's shame behind it. And where for a while I was checking the whites of my eyes and my car, my rear view mirror. And before I'd go to work, I would just take a peek. And again, that shows you that deep down there was clearly a concern of mine. And, you know, it was from my Google searches that I saw, you know, the turning of yellow and the yellowing of eyes is usually the first place that starts to turn yellow. Again, this is just me pulling stuff off the internet. <clears throat> and I'll never forget that feeling of doing my routine, checking the mirror and seeing yellow. Mm -hmm. And it. It, again, I again, I just get overwhelmed with the feeling. It, it was just this frozen, this fear, no clue of what to do next. And fear is really what came over me. But again, I had to move forward. I had to keep going. I think that was what I always, this is my motto. I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'm going to get this fixed and everything will be okay. That was just how I kept pushing myself and thinking, okay, I have to do this thing this weekend and I'll get through that. And at that point, you know, I'll, I'll talk to my friends. I'll talk to, again, Grady was just my boyfriend at the time and I'll get through this. And again, the fatigue really started to take over that weekend and shared with them my concern. Still don't know how I made it down the aisle in that wedding. It's just crazy to me. I didn't do any wedding celebrations. At this point, I was really physically feeling sick and not not doing well. And so Grady and another really close friend of mine the next day took me to an emergency room in Charleston, South Carolina, which is, again, about an hour from where I live. And And I think it was just at that point, my body all that pushing, you got to keep pushing, you got to keep going. My body just said, I can't do this anymore. And it just, my my arms started turning yellow. And at that point, they took me by ambulance from that. It was like a remote ER took me down to the Medical University of South Carolina. And this is when it was really chaotic. I was still trying to just scramble and make excuses. It, it, 
the excuses. I didn't want anybody to know my big secret. You know, that was the, my big, big secret, my big piece of shame that I just thought, okay, this is going to be enough to scare me and I'm going to be okay. I was in the hospital there just probably, it was just overnight and they basically were going to have to wait on a lot of blood work. So I think because of Grady and who he was, they were trusted me to leave the hospital and knowing that I would get blood work done a couple of days later. So I was able to go home. And this is when really everything started tumbling down, got my blood work done the next in the next day or two. And, you know, physicians, a lot of, they will get with blood work comes back and it's a critical level, mm -hmm. you know, they get those calls right away. You know about that. And this is when I was getting the call from Dr. Jocelyn. Dr. Jocelyn is the one that wrote the foreword in the book. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll never forget that moment. It's a very emotional moment. And it was because I recognized the number. I was just trying to stay awake at home and she, I could hear the concern in her voice and she said, are you okay? And I said, I think I'm dying. And she said, I think you are too. And it just, it's like the rug was pulled out from underneath me and really hit me what was happening. And so from there, obviously, Grady came immediately back. He took me to the hospital, my parents. And it just was, again, it it was my reality of what was actually happening. And I was in acute liver failure. So again, it's, I think we don't realize so many people make those, the jokes of, oh, you know, the liver and it regenerates and it does all these things, which absolutely it does. It is this beautiful amazing organ that we have. But let me tell you, when it stops working, it is, it's devastating. I just became unrecognizable, you know, between the the fluid and the belly, the yellow, you know, the yellow in color of my entire body at this point. And at that point, it was a waiting game. And that's why I, I, again, I'm so passionate about getting my story out there because I do not want people to be in my shoes at that point because sometimes the liver doesn't always start back, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it, then there's really nothing they can do. And, and especially this, you know, eight years ago, you know, there was the time, you know, there's the six month waiting rule between you have to stop drinking in order for them to do like any kind of surgical intervention, that sort of thing. But there was really nothing they were going to be able to do. So it was a waiting game in the hospital. And again, it it was the story of, I couldn't believe it happened to me. I mean, I was working on a Friday. I was going to this wedding, you know, on that weekend. And it was just how quick things really can happen. You know, I, I hadn't been getting warned from my physicians to stop drinking. I think that's what I was expecting. For me, it didn't happen that way. And it was it was pretty fast in the way that it it did. So again, from there, I was in the hospital for a while. I was there for a couple of weeks. And again, left with the intention, of course, of never drinking again. 
And this is where I felt like the foreword of the book was absolutely so powerful because knowing what I know now about, you know, the brain and, you know, what alcohol does and those pathways that we have set up, our subconscious beliefs of, you know, believing, believing in every fiber of my being that alcohol was the thing that helped me, you know, I, I, there was, I was going to drink again one day, you know, I, because I was leaving that hospital with willpower and I was leaving there going, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm strong. I want to feel good again. You know, all of these things and which work, they work for a, a certain amount of time. But then again, you know, those subconscious belief, they, they, they come and they win about 99% of the time. And I still thought, I thought, you know, again, drinking was normal. I wanted to be the normal drinker. And, you know, it's amazing what we, the excuses and the lies that we can tell ourselves to excuse the drinking. And and so I actually started to get sick again. And it turned out that it was mono. And I went straight back to the computer because I just thought, surely that's probably the reason why I got so sick to begin with. And I think feel like you can always Google yourself an answer that you want to hear. True. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted that answer to be true. And, and of course, the shame piece, I wasn't going to tell anybody that I was going to drink again. You know, I was just going to have one glass of wine. That's all. And, you know, everything would be fine because I had been away from it for a while. So surely I was fine. And that was probably the slipperiest slope I've ever stepped on. And again, speaking of shame, how could I tell anybody that I did that? Like who in their right mind would go through what I went through, get through it, and then drink again? That was one of the hardest parts of my story to tell because it made no sense to me. Again, now knowing what I know, I know that that was just, it was, I was basically a ticking time bomb. It was going to happen. It was a matter of when, because I was never addressing what was underneath. I was never addressing the the science. I was never addressing my belief that it helped me and challenging that and understanding that it was actually not helping me at all. Alcohol was actually making my anxiety 10 times worse, you know? And so you know, I, I really, I talk about in the book, and this is where I met the other physician that wrote the afterword of the book that had such a major impact on my life. And, you know, quite honestly, barely got through that one, was hospitalized again. And again, just waiting to see if my liver would start working back. And thank goodness it did. This is where I had a really powerful encounter too with Dr. Jofflin, who originally had been my physician. I was so ashamed to see her again. Like she had been really good to me and I just didn't think I could look her in the face. And Dr. Allen let Dr. Jofflin know that I had been hospitalized again and she came to visit me one day And that visit, it was a very pivotal, pivotal time in my life because I just couldn't get over the shame. And she took the time 
to come see me, talk with me, share what she knew about alcohol and what she had seen and experienced and really looked at me and just said, you don't have to do this anymore, you know? And, and she shared with me, you know, that she didn't drink. And it was this moment of seeing this young, healthy, successful woman just like put her guard down. I put my guard down and it had a massive impact. And I just knew, I was like, I want to do that for somebody else one day. Like I want to, you know, help them see and give them hope. And because that little bit of hope that I got there that day just was the energy that I got to leave there and go, okay, how can I do it this time? Like I've tried it before, you know, I had tried, I had been in rehab before I had tried a, you know, those things just didn't work for me. It works for many other people. And I'm happy for that. It, it just didn't work for me. And for me, it was crucial that I found something to make it make sense. You know, I needed it to make sense. And that's where, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I found the Snake in Mind, Any Grace, I found this podcast and I just could not get enough. I couldn't, I was soaking up all of in, all the information and the science, the science completely aligned with my journey. You know, why it's, it did help initially with, you know, anxiety, why it did help initially and why it, you know, progressively got worse. You know, why I went back that second time when it was just, so crazy to anybody else why I would. I needed to I needed to understand so I could learn from that and really break down the truth about the substance, the truth about what it actually did and what it did not provide and how it made things worse. And I really to understand it. And I remember, you know, digging into the data and digging and 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 really figuring out like I am not scared of this substance anymore because that's another thing. I think people can walk away from drinking but still not be free of it because they still think it's the thing that helps them in some way. Peeling back those the layers and understanding the truth about it to me is the key to freedom from this substance. Yeah, so powerful. Thank you for sharing that and sharing, you know, about your personal health struggles and, and your hospitalizations. And I think that we don't talk about liver disease. Like that is not like there's all this breast cancer awareness and all these other kind of I can't all kinds of cancer awareness, but we don't talk about liver disease. No. In, there's no like fun runs or anything related to liver disease. And it's so common. It is. And I think that's the shame piece. And, you know, there's yeah. nothing pretty about it. And that was the, that was the hard part about coming out about the truth of all of my story. Because at first, you know, it was really easy for me to talk about my anxiety and alcohol. That, you know what, I started right out of the gate. I'm, I was good with that. I could tell people, you know. I really struggled with anxiety and, you know, then I drank too much. I was self-medicating. To me, that made sense. It was okay. But man, there was still some shame behind that liver disease and especially cirrhosis. I'll be honest with you. 
the fact that I'm saying it out loud, I have got very dear friends that know full well two years ago, I was not even speaking it. I was not even saying it. I didn't want to, it, it, to me, it just carried so much weight. And I had this really powerful moment with my own coach, Lorna Wilson, who was so amazing. And she could tell that I struggled with that word. And so she's like, well, tell me, tell me about cirrhosis. What is it? And I, you know, started to tell her. And again, it's a very, I am not a healthcare provider. I'm not a healthier. My husband laughs a lot. He likes, he jokes that I like to think that I am, but I'm not. So it, again, my physicians made it made sense to me. They were like, you know, it's like when you fall down and you get this wound, you know, you get a scab. It's like a hardening of that area. And I said, you know, it's, it's my wound, it's my scar and it's my battle wound. And when I said that, let me tell you, the tears started coming and this just weight lifted because I needed to turn that around too and see the truth around that. You know, the truth is that my scar, my wound, my diagnosis is a, a sign of my body fighting like, you know what, to keep me alive. It fought so hard and, you know, kept going, kept pushing through when I kept pushing it. And so I needed to no longer look at that with shame. I needed to look at that with empowerment and understand that, you know what, I'm still here. And there's nothing about that diagnosis that is a death sentence for me. It means I need to take care of myself and I do, you know, pay attention and get screenings because I'm, you know, at a higher risk for liver cancer and those sort of things. But, you know, quite honestly, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. And I'm, I, instead of looking at that with shame, I needed to look at it with pride and say how strong I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people who are listening are going to start thinking about their liver more. Uh-huh. Uh, can you share some things that they should be looking for or talking to their doctor about when it comes to their liver health? Sure, sure. And again, these are just some things that, and I and I did ask Dr. Jocelyn, because I was like, I always want to stay in my lane and I'm, I'm the patient, mm-hmm. but But there are things that, you know, like the fatigue, you know, feeling cold, poor appetite. You know, I definitely poor appetite was one for me. Nauseous. There's also, there's little red spots that you can get. They're, I think it's spider angenomas. They, I had those on my chest, you know, and again, yellow in the jaundice is what, you know, obviously that is the, the accumulation of ascites, the, the fluid in the, the belly, those are kind of the later signs. And so I, again, that's why I always talk about these things because I want people to be able to have conversations with their provider before they get to where I was. But again, I'm sharing this because if you are or do get to where I was, it doesn't mean that's over for you either. There's hope in all of this. You know, my hope is that we can have conversation with our providers beforehand and just say, you know, I'm worried. I don't like how I'm feeling. And knowledge is power. And, you know, they can do stuff. They can run tests and see 
what's going on. And, you know, it's so important to not put your head in the sand when it comes, you know, to your liver and not, you know, oh, everything will be fine. And it could be, and it could be absolutely fine and great. And listen, when you stop drinking, it's going to be even happier. But it's important to get the numbers and really find out what's going on. And, and they can do that. And, you know, and I call it my, you know, health journey for a reason, because I, again, stopping drinking was just the first thing that needed to go. There's work to be done, you know, in all areas, you know, nutrition. I mean, food is medicine. Absolutely. And I, you know, because, you know, think about your liver, it's this gigantic filter for your body, right? And getting rid of toxins. And so always thinking about what you're putting in your body. And, you know, Dr. Jocelyn did say drinking three cups of black coffee can help, you know, that can help and somewhat even sometimes reverse the fatty liver. It just depends. But it, again, you always want to make sure that you're going to someone that knows what they're talking about. I really ran into a lot where people in I know they meant well, but they were selling something that, you know, oh, this is great for your liver. I just want people to have like all kinds of red flags to go up. And you really, especially if you have liver disease or afraid of that, number one, talk to your provider and see where you're standing. But number two, you recognize, okay, I need to definitely only work with someone that really knows about the liver before I take something, you know what I mean? Before, you know, they do that thinking that it's going to help. But really, whole foods and a and a good diet makes a huge difference. And again, number one thing you can remove is alcohol. That's step one. Yeah, that's so helpful. And like you said, like for the most part, your liver is a great organ. It can heal itself. It's resilient. It's durable. Like it is there for you, right? And yes, it can progress to where you do have cirrhosis that it, like you said, that is a permanent scar from mm -hmm. your wound. But for the most people, like you can reverse the damage that's been done simply yes. by removing alcohol. It's the most beautiful thing. There's not many things in this world that really can, it just takes one thing, right? Mm -hmm. And and again, and when I say it takes one thing, I don't say that lightly. Alcohol is hard. Let's, it's, it's everywhere in our culture. I think I am personally like a big believer in that we, I was numbing things. I was numbing hurts and wounds that I, I got over time through this thing called life, you know? And you know, the next step for me was healing some of those traumas with, you know, professionals that know what they're doing. But it is amazing with just removing the substance. That's it. Just just removing alcohol. What, how your body will respond. And like you said, that like I, you know, I do have cirrhosis and my body still responded in in such an amazing way and and again see that as a sign you know people when they put alcohol down they give it these 30 day 40 day challenges they look and they feel so much better give that have that be a sign that your body's like thank you thank you just i i needed you to stop putting that into my body you know, and, but instead they just are kind of clearing their conscious. Okay. I'm not an alcoholic. So I'm just going to start drinking again. 
it all starts mm-hmm. over again. But it is. I mean, my liver numbers are beautiful. Again, I do a lot of, I do preventative care and screenings to make sure that nothing's getting in those sort of things. But other than that, I, you would have no idea by looking at me that I was even sick. That's fantastic. I mean, that's yeah. so good. Like your body does love you and it is, it was protecting you and it is taking care of you. Yes. Again, I say in the book, like even the best fighter goes down sometimes. And when we keep <laughs> you pushing it, 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 it does. And, and the sad thing, what we're seeing is, is there is, you know, such a dramatic increase in liver disease mm-hmm. since the pandemic. And that really was this big part of me that like, I can't stay silent anymore because if I can be the voice for those people that are still struggling with shame, still struggling with it, then I want to be that voice to bring them hope to understand that you can not only live without alcohol. Oh my gosh, life is so amazing on the other side. I had no idea, had no idea how amazing it was. I was given that thing way too much credit. So I want to be that voice of hope for people that are struggling. Oh, you're definitely a voice of hope. And so I I just recommend everyone, if you're looking for a new book to read, to check out Carla's book, And She Came Tumbling Down, because it's well-written, and Carla goes way more into like her journey and her experience in the hospital and with cirrhosis, and so, and then the hope part. There's so much hope in it as well. Yes. Thank you so much. And listen, thank you for letting me be here. I love your podcast. And so thank you for letting me take this time in this space. Well, thank you for being on here. How can someone find you? They can just go to my website, CarlaAdkins.com. And from there, they can even find out where I do the work with the challenge, the Zero Proof Life Challenge that's going to be coming up on September 26th. You can get my book from there, but you can also get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Great. And I'll put those in the show notes. And I also have just kind of a mini episode about loving your liver that I'll put in the show notes too, just to kind of give you a little bit more information about alcohol and your liver. Nice. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. Please share and review the show so you can help other people too. I want you to know I'm always here for you. So please reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com for free resources and help. No matter where you are on your drinking journey, I want to encourage you to just keep practicing, keep going. I promise you are not alone and you are worth it. Every day you practice not drinking is a day you can learn from. I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, talk to you next time.